Today's episode of Scam Kings contains themes of violence and suicide. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Mark Hoffman is a liar. Welcome to Scam Kings. There's no fluffy way to say that Mark Hoffman was a complete and utter liar and murderer from the very genesis of his existence. Born 1954 to a Latter-day Saint household, Mark spent his childhood making up maps for treasure hunts leading to wily ancient artifacts that he himself would bury in the woods for his friends to find. It was this and making homemade explosive. There really was no in-between. Every kid likes to play pretend, so forging maps could probably get a pass as childhood naughtiness. But Mark decided to take things on the road. At age 12, he forged a rare mint mark on a US 10 cent coin. And a mint mark is an inscription that would denote the mint that it was produced in. He then showed this coin to a group of experienced coin collectors who declared that it was genuine. I don't have a pass for the bombs simply because there should be none. And unlike the map situation, the adults should have been more concerned as we will see much later on. In his letter to the Utah Board of Pardons and Parole in 1988 titled A Summary of My Crimes, Mark said that money was never the goal. He just liked fooling people because it made him feel superior. In the same letter, he says he didn't sell a forgery until he was 24 years old, more than a decade later, and in that time he perfected a relatively undetectable forgery technique. Also within that time, he became an atheist, but never told his parents, going as far as still becoming an LDS missionary as all young Mormon men do at one point or the other. In 1973, while on a mission in England, he claimed that he'd baptized several converts. However, he neglected to include that he had lifted the story from the LDS religious reference, No Man Knows My History. He met his future wife, and a year after selling his first forgery, he married her, with everyone believing him to be this devout discovery whisket, bringing even more legitimacy to the LDS church. He switched from US coin to Mormon currency. A rarity due to the fact that it was developed during the time when it was illegal for anyone but the U.S. Treasury to print money. It is also the chronicle of the struggles of the Mormons during that time. Mark worked at recreating old ink recipes and methods of oxidizing them so that they looked aged. Money then became the object, he says in his letter. This was almost my exclusive source of income from 1980 to October 1985. 
During that time, I forged hundreds of items with at least 86 different signatures. And within those five years, the schemes were pretty high key. 1980, Hoffman announces the discovery of the Anthem Transcript, a page documenting the characters that the Church of Mormon founder John Smith was said to have copied directly from the golden plates on which the Book of Mormon was written on. These characters are said to be those belonging to something called Reform Egyptian. Hoffman used the description provided by the religion to create an exact replica of the letter and presented it to Dean Jesse, a top expert in handwriting and old documents in the LDS church. It was so well done that it was certified genuine and the LDS church announced that they would be purchasing the document for US $20,000. He left school shortly thereafter to pursue his true talent, which was proving to be very lucrative indeed. In the early 1980s came the John Smith Blessing Forgery, where he falsified a letter claiming that the name of the Mormon leader's essential last wishes for the next leader of the church had more or less been modified over the years. He sold this for $20,000 as well and caused quite the stir in the LDS church over elements of their faith. This time, his motivation leaned more towards creating confusion. Although authorities believed that his goal was to get a hand on the actual Book of Mormon so that he could create a vision filled with inconsistencies. The highlight of his career would have to be the Salamander Letter. I don't want this to be too long-winded, but I would need to talk about the genesis of the Mormon religion a bit. The version that is the core of Mormon belief is that John Smith, the church's founder, was visited by an angel named Moroni, who was the guardian of the religious text now known as the Book of Mormon. The angel visited him at least six times starting in September 1823 and allowed him access to the sacred text which he translated and shared. Again, to create discord and confusion, Hoffman decided to flip major elements of the script that would have undoubtedly caused chaos for the church. He forged a letter addressed to one of the early leaders of the Mormon church, which he signed off as Martin Harris, Joseph Smith's scribe for the Golan Plates. Essentially, the letter replaced the angel from the actual foundation story with a magical white salamander. This sent the faith into a bit of a tailspin as it suggested that the church had a sanitized version of events that they'd been hiding all along. Luckily for everyone except Mark, the letter was eventually dismissed as a fake. Well, not entirely. The person who examined the piece said that even though there was no evidence to prove that it was real, there was no evidence to prove that it was fake either. Mark was raking in a considerable amount of cash from this ugly pursuit. But as we often see, the worst scammers are often the most financially destitute. Mark led a lavish lifestyle that sunk him deep into debt. Of course, he came up with more and more forgeries to sell, but the reality was he needed something huge. He was between two forgeries that would help him immensely. The forgery of the Oath of a Free Man, one of the most sought-after missing American history documents, and the forgery of the McLean Collection. The latter is a collection of documents written by William McLean, an apostle turned breakaway from the LDS Church, that purportedly leaks some things about the church that puts them in a very bad light. The Oath was a one-pager, so he knocked that off 
and was in the middle of negotiating a $1 million sale price when questions about its authenticity came up. McLean collection also became an issue because there was a vast series of letters that William McLean wrote and to collect and forge them all in enough time to appease his debtors would be impossible. So to buy himself more time, Hoffman decided to turn to a skill that he'd long abandoned in pursuit of forgery. Bomb making. Now, Mark is what we call a red collar criminal, which is a criminal who uses violent crime, usually murder, to hide their fraud. In this case, he was using these murders to buy himself more time. The people that he targeted were the people that he was doing business with, either on the oath or the McLean documents. Mark says in his letter that at that time, the most important thing to him was not being exposed as a fraud. He wanted that least of all, which is what led him to build the first two bombs. Initially, he had intended suicide, but chickened out the night before he delivered the two explosives. On October 15, 1985, he dropped the packages off at two locations. One to the office of Stephen Christensen, a Mormon collector who was beginning to suspect that Mark was a fraudster, and the other to the home of Gary Sheets, Christensen's business partner. Conveniently for Mark, these two were the owners of a financial company that was doing poorly at the time. Their bombings, he surmised, would have looked like a disgruntled investor who had been responsible for the killings. Except for several things. One, Mark dropped off Christensen's package during the day. He also rode the elevator with people who would obviously remember someone with a package asking for the offices of Stephen Christensen. Two, he never disguised himself. In fact, he donned a distinctive green letterman jacket which police would later use to identify him as the killer. Three, he drove a tan van. Neighbors of the sheet say that although it was at night, they remembered seeing a tan van in the area before the bomb went off. Four, he missed. The first package did kill Stephen Christensen as he intended. However, the second package killed Gary Sheet's wife. Kathy. What was intended to buy him time only turned the dogs onto him, and only because of the few, of many, instances listed above. When he believed that police were genuinely looking at him, he made the decision to hurt himself. Mark made one more explosive and planted it in his car, detonating it the very next day. He was inside. That would be his last mistake. As they did with the others, police started to look for links between the murders and Mark's attempted murder. They ended up discovering evidence of Mark's forgeries in the basement of his home, including the engraving plant where the plate for the oath of a free man was made. Mark Hoffman was arrested in January of 1986 and was charged with a slew of offenses including first-degree murder, theft by deception, and communication fraud. The next year after initially maintaining his innocence, he pleaded guilty to two counts of second-degree murder, one count of theft by deception for the Salamander letter and one count of fraud for the McLean collection. He was initially sentenced to five years to life. However, in 1988, he was sentenced to life after he told the Utah Board of Pardons that planting the bomb at the Sheet residence was, quote, almost a game. He is also on record telling an investigator Quote, I don't feel anything for them. My philosophy is that they're dead. 
they're not suffering. I think life is basically worthless. They could have died just as easily in a car accident. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in an afterlife. They don't know that they're dead. Mark Hoffman, inmate 41235, was sent to the Utah State Prison in Draper. In 2016, he was moved to the Central Utah Correctional Facility in Gunnison, where he will spend the rest of his natural life. Thank goodness.